Again, free thinkers, welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project contributor Don Vi Jr. Today, we spoke to videographer and social commentator Liam DeBoer, also known as Liam Out Loud on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Liam is a masterful video editor and has crafted some very powerful videos that have gone mega viral. Now, as our audience knows, The big name guests that we have on our show tend to bring in the listeners, but it's often the smaller name guests where a lot of the real magic happens when discussing nuanced issues and niche topics. With that said, Liam had some excellent points in this podcast when dissecting issues like identity, disconnection, spirituality, and of course, philosophy. Also, I wanted to share with you guys something I'm really excited about. I just published my first book entitled Three Ways to Prepare for Central Bank Digital Currencies to help our audience prepare for the coming shift in our economic landscape and to be one step ahead of the incoming digital currency that will soon be implemented by Western governments. Now, you can find that on my website at jasonbassler.com, so definitely check that out, guys. But for now, here's our interview with Liam Outloud. Liam, welcome to the show, brother. We've been collaborating for a couple months now uh, with different videos. And I must say, man, you're one hell of a video editor, but you're also more than that. And that's why I wanted to have you join us on the show. You're also a thinker, a philosopher, and generally somebody who isn't satisfied with platitudes or stereotypes. Most of your videos explore culturally taboo topics, socially sensitive issues, that need to be talked about, but more importantly, need the nuance addressed for that conversation to evolve. Now, it's it's rare that people like yourself come along as content creators because as we're currently seeing with this new wave of attention on this recent Tucker Carlson guest who claims he smoked crack and had gay sex with Obama, <laughs> there's a lot of people who are capitalizing on more of the Jerry Springer talk show element of the truth liberty community But you seem immune to all that. You seem immune to the mindless noise. Uh, You don't seem interested in echo chambers, confirmation bias, all the sensationalism about the current thing, which seems to plague much of the liberty truth community. Uh, Instead, you you seem to recognize the value in ascertaining the truth by using philosophy uh, with these issues. So maybe, perhaps, we can make some headway in these battle of ideas. So I appreciate that about you, and I'm hoping we could delve into some of these juicy topics over the next hour. But with that said, we recently did a collaborative post on Instagram asking a question, which I thought was a great question, uh, to get people kind of thinking and engaged. But it looks like, unfortunately, we probably used one or two hot button keyword 
that the algorithm gods just didn't like, and it didn't really take off how we were hoping. So the question's still important and worth asking, in my opinion. And that question was, if a person's genitals don't define their gender, as we've heard the left popularize, how does removing genitals affirm gender? And uh, this seems to be kind of a pretty big logical conundrum for the left. What is the best answer that you've heard for this? I haven't heard uh, a good answer from either side, to be honest. And you get from from the left, it's usually just hurls of insults. <laughs> I pinned I pinned two comments on there, um, one of which was calling me a gaslighting freak, <laughs> and yeah, that's all that uh, and so that yeah, I had a good I had a good chuckle at that. So I mean, that's usually how that that side of the aisle approaches those questions is instead of dealing with a question and being able to disarm it with logic and rationale, it's Im immediately going to an emotional response and pulling into question the character of the person that's asking the question. Um, and so that's definitely not helpful on the one side. And then on the other, they tend to, you know, to say the, the hard, kind of heels dug in right wing side would be to just meant like just completely write them off as uh, mentally ill mm -hmm. gone mm -hmm. they're 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 too far gone just we need to uh, do away with these these types and that is also just as not helpful to me I think you know going actually deep into that topic and it sucks to not be able to bring nuance in those type of situations on short clips like that, where you do just kind of have to ask a, ask a question that is, you know, you're, you know, I know what I'm doing in those moments. I'm not, I'm not playing dumb to the fact that it is just trying to essentially get a, get reactions from both sides. But I think those reactions can tell you a lot. And I don't think that it, that makes them not beneficial just by the fact that it's a reaction, but the more nuanced conversation there that I think needs to happen is much more about this lack of meaning and purpose that people are finding or aren't, uh, you know, they can't find in their lives. And I, I think that's really what, what this boils down to is this obsession with identifying as, as whatever, whether it be a different gender, we, we don't see people, having any personal sense of fulfillment in their lives, feelings of use, usefulness. I think when we, we've largely turned humans into automatons that also aren't able to even see the products of their labor. So for instance, a hundred years ago, you used to be able to feel pretty satisfied with yourself at the end of the day, even if you were just a low level peasant farmer, you could, at the end of the day, sit there and look at your crops and go, I grew that, I built that, I have, I'm essentially interacting with the world. I, I do have some sort of importance, whereas nowadays people are sitting in office spaces for nine hours a day, putting in spreadsheets that don't provide anybody any sense of personal worth. And so we start to look for meaning in our lives in these immutable characteristics. 
and we get wrapped up in say gender or it's like okay now my the gen my gender is what's supposed to carry me through life give me a sense of importance or my sexual orientation or my skin color and it's like these are all the absolute worst things to find your sense of self in and i think that's where this is all stemming from on on a more spiritual i guess philosophical side i think that's where where it's all stem, stemming from and then obviously there's the the political push on those those fronts as well but that's where i do try to show the nonsense of some of these topics like for instance the transgender topic right now i think i think it is largely nonsense and so I try to illuminate that, but then my goal is to also say provide a little bit more useful insight with say the philosophical stuff on the back end. But unfortunately, the people don't get as as wrapped up in the philosophical stuff as they do the nonsense. Yes, it's it's not as emotionally charged, right? And it's not like this exactly. this trending topic that everybody's talking about, and so there's some type of fervor or momentum behind it. Yeah. It's actually sort of fantastic that this is the initial question we start off with because just probably about an hour and a half ago, I was having a conversation about philosophy, talking about um, with our culture and just the way that people are blinded to so many things. So um, I was specifically talking about sort of the rat weight, the rat race, the you know school to hate this job pipeline and then work your life away for 60 years and then you're too broken to enjoy the little bit of money you made sort of thing but it also applies to identity politics the concept of statism in general um, mainstream religion the exoteric interpretations as opposed to the esoteric and things of that nature talking about how in my opinion like one of the biggest problems that our society faces is the fact that we've stopped asking why you, know, you think about like as a kid, like I think probably around the age of like maybe three, four years old, they get into that phase where it's like, why, mommy? Why? Why? Just literally everything is why? Because they're curious and they're wanting to understand the world. And at some point, society and the way that the culture has been conditioned got us to stop asking why and just sort of accept these answers at face value. Oh, um, uh, politics because of this reason, religion because of that reason. This, these are socially acceptable in this capacity, but not in this capacity because of X, Y reason. And we stopped asking why. But if we get to a point where we do start asking why, it unravels a lot of these false dichotomies and bullshit paradigms that have been established by these sort of social engineers to, to keep the masses entwined in this little game of theirs. If I was to suggest maybe that's why Liam uses the Socratic questioning method to, to kind of bring mm -hmm. out uh, that not only making people think, but also, as Liam said, like to gauge their responses, gauge where they lie as far as like, you know, how, how much they've developed their intellectual understanding about this type of stuff. But you made a lot of great points, Liam. And yeah, the, the right. I'm glad that you put in that little caveat there, too, because I don't find that helpful either with like the right being very gung-ho about demonizing and vilifying trans people and it might not be their preference or their cup of tea but calling them all pedophiles you know that just it doesn't it doesn't do anything for the conversation so it definitely needs a little bit more nuance and i think the left as as you pointed out as well like jumps into these ad homs and you know they they immediately kind of take offense when you ask questions like this because they're so wrapped up in political identity that, you know, how dare you ask some type of nuanced question like this? You're just supposed to, 
you know, accept what the collective offers you and you're just supposed to run with it. That's the way it's supposed to be, you know, and I think as Don was just saying, that's been kind of primarily the majority of how we've been trained, you know, in, in this country and, and probably other places as well. Uh, but the sense of purpose also, Liam, like that's a that's an excellent point, man. And I feel like that is what is so lost in this current generation, or I guess maybe even several generations, right? Like it seems like Gen X maybe has a little bit better of a handle on it, but millennials, uh, Gen Z, it seems like a lot of us just have no clue why we're here. And unfortunately, uh, the game has been so skewed and so rigged that a lot of people don't have any opportunity to get ahead unless they also participate in gaming the system somehow. So I, I feel like all this really contributes to a, a bigger sense of um, a lack of purpose. And I would also suggest, and I, don't, I know this isn't really a popular opinion, but maybe this is something that contributes to all the mass shootings we're seeing as well. Oh, for sure. Um, actually, one of the most profound things, the and I think this exact thought links into the school shootings, it's the exact same crisis that rears itself in different ways. I heard Louis C.K. say something very profound where he was talking about how the homeless people in cities have started going, leveling up their craziness, how 20, 30 years ago, you didn't see a homeless person that was complete, like almost seemed completely dissociated from reality, standing in the middle of a street, yelling at cars, all of that kind of stuff that you do, that you see so frequently now. I mean, I live in right downtown Toronto, so I see it pretty much every day, that level of uh, disconnect from reality. Mm -hmm. And he, he made the point that he thinks that's coming from the fact that 20, 30 years ago, if you were walking down the street and you saw a homeless person, you still at least had to make eye contact with them or, or acknowledge the fact that they existed, where nowadays with smartphones, these homeless people are just sitting there and feel genuinely invisible to everybody, that they are probably even questioning if they exist because 99% of people are just walking by them, not even not even glancing at them because we're so looking into our phones or we're just so wrapped up in our own inner world now um, where I think that's the exact same mentality that leads people to snap and stand in the middle of the street and just say, Hey, fucking look at me. I'm, I'm here. I exist. That, that is the same thing that's happening, say on a, on a school shooting level where, you know, it's, it's no, it's no accident that these people are, or sorry, I should say coincidence, that these people are the types that have zero close friends. They don't see seen at school themselves. They're largely invisible to the world. They feel completely hopeless in that this is just their way of, even if it's for a short fleeting second of making, of, of killing people, literally, they at least feel in that moment that they're seen and that they exist. And that's, that's a very kind of scary concept to think about but i think it is this extreme lack of community or sense of connection to the people that are closest around you that is leading to these extreme psychotic breaks and what happens in those psychotic breaks can obviously differ depending on your environment but i think when it does happen on the on the lower end on the lower end kind of life scale say on for the younger people that that's how it's manifesting 
just wanted to hop in on one thing on the the stopping asking why and i think that is a very big issue that we've faced over the last 100 to 150 years and i do have an answer to you as to why we've stopped asking why why we've stopped questioning anything whether it's even just the grander aspects of life looking at what does it mean to live a meaningful life or what is life all about is if i've i've made a video about the public school actually one of the videos that we um collaborated on was the public school system but there's a quote the very first paper ever released by the general education board in the 19 i think it was 1902 was by frederick taylor gates who was business uh john d rockefeller's personal business advisor was the head of the general education board and he wrote this in the quote and i think this is very telling to kind of everything that i've been talking about so far and we have on a larger scale is it goes in our dream, we have limitless resources and the people yield themselves with perfect docility to our molding hand. The present educational conventions fade from our minds and unhampered by tradition, we will work our own goodwill upon a grateful and responsive rural folk. We shall not try to make these people or any of their children into philosophers or men of learning or men of science. We are not to raise up from among them authors, orators, poets, or men of letters. We shall not search for embryo great artists, painters, or musicians, nor will we cherish even the humbler ambition to raise up from among them lawyers, doctors, preachers, statesmen, of whom we already have an ample supply. The goal we set before ourselves is a, is a beautiful and simple one, to make these people perfectly content with their lives where they are, and to teach them to do what their parents did imperfectly in the farms and, uh, and in rural areas. So I, I paraphrased the last quote, but the first first ninety percent of that was verbatim. But I think that is genuinely where this has all come is we've we've been turned into turned into cogs in the machine, and I think that's where a lot of this deep, and that's why I've been digging into philosophy so much. Is I think this is why we have the vast majority of people on the on in North America and Western culture on SSRIs and that can't even just get through their day-to-day -day life is because dealing with that question of why, like we, we've been told that you shouldn't even ask that, you know, you talk to somebody nowadays, person to person and you bring up even anything remote. I, I see it all the time. Now I talk to friends or even just people I come into contact with, you ask even just a surface level philosophical question and you can tell it makes them uncomfortable on a deep level Absolutely. because they haven't, they haven't even thought about life outside of just kind of the more animalistic behavior, uh, like habit habits of life. And they haven't, they haven't asked themselves why they're here or, or what they should be doing and, and to even face that question is deeply unsettling to them. Get those people some psychedelics. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, and it's, it's so coincidental. Again, I love the fact that this is sort of how we're opening this. Cause as I mentioned earlier, I was having, you know, talking about why and all that. And I literally quoted that quote that you just read off like an hour oh, ago as I was talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> sort of about how the, the education system was created to create this working class system of workers who were just smart enough to do as they're told and just dumb enough to not ask any questions so long as they're conditioned, given a little bit of bread, given a little bit of circus and just send them on their way. And that's sort of you know, like we're saying, it plays into this this culture of America 
particularly because of course it does affect other parts of the world elsewhere but i've from what i've observed it really is a very american sort of uniquely western in a way uh phenomenon where we have these large chunks of society or people who have this lack of feeling of meaning of their life and i think it plays into the big mental health problem that we have here and there's actually uh, a gentleman that I follow on TikTok uh, because I'm uh, religiously I'm a Norse pagan and so is he and his name is uh, David Christensen and he was uh, discussing this uh, in one uh, video that he uploaded about this sense of identity um, and, and specifically he was talking about how Norse pagans in Scandinavian countries who still live there sort of trash and talk down on Americans such as myself who are sort of rediscovering our lineage and sort of finding purpose in the religion of our ancestors when we couldn't find one uh, with, say, uh, contemporary Christianity because of one reason or another, whether it's a bad experience you had with the church, just you weren't drawn to it or whatever. And he, in that conversation, he raised a very solid point that because America is such a new country we're only about 200 and some odd years old and we're this melting pot of people who came over here and the indigenous population was so decimated by the colonialism of it the majority like 99 percent of people on this landmass have no cultural or or uh heritage on on this land like he was saying the people who say if you live in switzerland and you revere your ancestors in that belief system you can drive five miles and see thousand year old burial mounds where your people your family lie there and you have that sense of connection that higher spiritual sense that you can connect to and say this is a part of me most people 99 percent of people here in america don't have that and I think really that that plays a big part in it, not to get into too much of a, a religious side of things, but that plays into a big part of it the same way as the mental health pl uh, plays into it, same way as the uh, conditioning of the educational system plays into it, is this lack of connection to oneself. And I was even talking to uh, Gavin Nassiamento, who is a great friend of the Free Thought Project one time uh, a couple months ago, and we had that conversation where I told him about how I reconnected with the belief system of my ancestors and we were talking for hours about this stuff and and he was like that's so cool man because you've because you have established within you this identity no one can take that from you now and it has it has made you more resolute to do what you feel like you're put on this planet to do because you have established this sense of identity for yourself and i agreed completely i was like yes is when i came into this and sort of found myself through my studies and whatnot it put me on a much more resolute path to say okay I want to get into journalism. I want to get into the truth movement, the liberty movement, and and blaze a trail to expose the lies that we've been taught. And it all started with sort of finding that deeper sense of connection to provide me a purpose. And that's what so many people are missing. Well, I saw a great post recently um, that said it's not the left versus the right anymore. It's like the people who are thinking and awake and asking questions versus the people who aren't awake, who are the automatons, who are uh, just simply you know living life day to day, don't ever question anything. I feel like that's partially true, you know. But I, I wonder if that kind of plays into some of this divide, almost like you know what you were just saying, Liam, about asking people like a, a quasi philosophical question and then seeing their 
eyes glaze over, you know, it's like, I almost fear that it is the people who are asking questions and, and thinking versus the people who aren't necessarily. And uh, it's almost created like this isolationism epidemic where a lot of people just now, like they feel antisocial because they don't feel like they could talk to their friends or have any connection with them, whether it be on you know certain political issues or even cultural issues, which, you know, that, that stuff has a, a pretty large effect on our, our friends and our family. If we say we make a post about a certain viewpoint that disagrees with them. We had a podcast guest back maybe a month or two ago, and forgive me because I don't remember exactly who it was, but they actually gave this statistic that like in the 90s, they did um, these polls with people to find like, you know, how many close people do you feel like you have in your family? Like how many people do you feel like you could depend on? And back then, it, people like the average answer was like three to four. But now they did it again recently. And the average answer is zero. So like yeah. nobody feels like they have this connection. You know, they don't have somebody who's in their corner rooting them on, supporting them, you know, giving them love and, and advice and, and mentorship or whatever it may be. And it maybe it doesn't even have to be that extreme. You know, it could just be a simple friendship. But it does feel like isolationism is uh, rampantly uh, increasing in our society. And I wonder how much of that is social media that, you know, we know uh, creates anxiety, depression and causes comparison and of course taps into our dopamine system. Uh, but you know, they of course marketed that as something that we were all going to be connected with and, and it's turned out to be quite the opposite. So it almost, you know, begs the question, like, was that a psyop in, its, in itself? You know, is that something that, you know, some of these intelligence agencies, we, we, you know, we hear the rumblings of they had, you know, inner workings of companies like Facebook, but I mean, is there something more to this? And we don't even ne necessarily have to open up that can of worms right now, but I think it's interesting to to think about at the very least. Well, there's a couple different things that I'm going to try to try to weave into weave into one here, but to speak to the the social media isolation side, I do agree that that is the cause of it. And I, whether it's a psyop or not, I I'm not sure. I mean, I think it definitely benefits centralized power to have the peasants, so so to speak, disconnected from one one another. Um, but I think it probably has a very similar effect to how porn does where on, on an evolutionary level, on a, on a biological level, where if you're tricking your mind into, let's say a dude sits here and jerks off all day, every day, and it, he's tricking his mind into thinking that he's fulfilling his evolutionary role of reproducing. So it turns off that mechanism of I need to be out there finding a partner because your mind literally thinks that you you are reproducing just by the fact that you are essentially sexually active without being actually se sexually active. And on the same side with social media, I think it, tricks your mind into believing that you're connected, that you're having a sense of social, social interaction. So it's, it's, it's turning off essentially the check engine light that would, would arise in your mind going, I need to have some sort of sense of community. You're like, well, I do. I talk to my friends and I text my friends all day, but you're not actually having it in any meaningful sense that it can imbue the positive aspects of society uh, of having uh, a social life same thing with of say having a, a love life with others with with the porn analogy where it's where you're not getting any of the positive you're just essentially turning off that that light 
in your mind telling you to to do those things and same thing with the like i think that again that comes down to just not knowing why we do those things you know we we were told that oh well you know we we want to have kids go get married all of this stuff and now people are just asking themselves why and we haven't given them a real reason and this is circling back to the right just demonizing say these the people that have lost themselves lost all sense of self identity and such they don't offer any other path they don't hold up say they just say if if you're not into marriage and then you're crazy and you're immoral but you're not selling them on the idea of marriage you're not telling them okay this is going to give you a great deal of purpose of fulfillment of making yourself feel useful that you know the greatest happiness that we can really or i hate using the word happiness because it's, it's, <laughs> it's but sustaining sustained sense of worth is going to come from those 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 aspects that we're essentially moving away from right now that you know social life there was actually a great post uh, by chris williamson recently and he was talking about the money and happiness and how having one deep meaningful friend that you connect with on on a deep level is worth essentially what four hundred thousand dollars would bring to you in in happiness so there is these ways for us to be extremely wealthy per se in our, in our lives but we're just not being sold on that and that's where i think the right is doing a terrible disservice to itself is it wants to uphold these ideas of tradition and morality but it has but it's not it's not it's not marketing them properly it's just demonizing anyone who doesn't follow them but it's not telling people why they should and also looping in the whole America lacking identity aspect. I do think with it being such a, such a new country and America's identity is largely wrapped up in, and I should actually note that I'm Canadian, but I mean, America is more interesting. So I think about it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's America is largely built upon its sense of freedom and Liberty. That's, that's, it's, that's its sense of identity is we're, we're a free country. We're the freest country on the world. We're the freest country that ever has been, but freedom without morality, freedom without meaning is just chaos. And we, we see this all the time. And that's why people, you know, lose themselves and they just become mindless automaton consumers is because that, that morality identity, that, that sense of, tradition and community is just is just lost in america right now for sure absolutely man and uh it seems like there's a bit of a resurgence of like this trad movement you know but it, it's very kind of slow and and kind of in the the beginning makings right now and it seems to be kind of harbored by more of like the quote extremist right you know so who knows who knows if we will ever shift back to that but at least there is a spark there you know there is a spark of people who see the value and you know, I've recently kind of had an epiphany about this because, you know, I'm from California, California, and I'm from the originally the Bay Area, which is, you know, everybody knows like the Bay Area is very heavily leaning left uh, liberal. So, you know, for me, there was a time where I just didn't even think about this stuff.
as, as time goes on, it, it seems clear to me that like we as humans have this indifference within us where we f- want to feel like we're pushing the ball forward, right? Like the old systems didn't work. Like we want to be these new progressives who are evolving and changing the system and making things better. But in sometimes in some ways, like there's a reason why these traditions have developed over a long period of time is because they work because they do imbue that sense of community because they do imbue that sense of purpose, you know? And so I think part of this too, is that we've been kind of programmed to believe that we always have to be on this progressive edge, whether it be, you know, bringing your tote bag to the grocery store or driving the new Tesla because you're not using fossil fuels or whatever it is. So yeah, I do think we do need to pause and take a look at some of those traditional characteristics of what made this country so great and maybe try to find some of the better ones and maybe leave some of the other ones behind. Because at the same time, I'm not going to say like, you know, just because people romanticize this idea of traditionalism from maybe like what America was in the fifties. It doesn't mean it was perfect. And in a lot of ways it got us to where we're at now, you know, so we have to also be mindful of that, but I want to shift gears here just a little bit because I do have a question, uh, which I think is kind of important. And you made a, a great point in a recent tweet when you said people do not want to hear new ideas or have theirs challenged rather. They want someone to explain their current convictions more articulately than they can. The sooner you realize this, the more people will listen to you. And uh, I think that was brilliantly said, man. And it kind of addresses the chink in the armor when it comes to this type of, I guess, social media activism that we're trying to do. And I've mm-hmm. you know, long been aware of this. I wrestle with it frequently because as someone who has been in the world of alternative media for a decade now, you know, I've made thousands of memes and, and like any other profession, you know, you start to improve and refine the process until you know the formula that works. And I know what the formula is to create viral posts for my audience. Like that part's not hard of it, but that formula usually includes some type of viral trending topic, a sensational claim and some attitude or snark. But, you know, as you pointed out, a lot of times that could just be confirming people's confirming people's biases, people's biases. And I should probably mention that most of the biggest influencers in the truth liberty sphere are addicted to this formula. And not because it's a strategy that breeds more truth or liberty into the world, but it's because it grows their following and makes them a lot of money. But I say, you know, fuck that. I'm not here for that. Our name is the Free Thought Project for a reason. And it implies that we're here to challenge those popular opinions, explore counterintuitive information. And part of our work has to be, you know, has over the years been challenging people's beliefs and ideas. You know, of course, that has consequences. I think I mentioned to to you guys, at least in the, the Free Thought Project group chat that we had, that I lost like 600 followers last week when Trump's mug, mugshot was all the rage. I, I posted a picture of him next to Epstein with the mugshot and like the conservative audience lost their mind. I got a bunch of angry messages. <laughs> I lost a bunch of followers who I haven't even gained back yet, you know, and but these people don't get upset with the fact that Trump is with Epstein and they were good buddies. Instead, they're mad at me for posting this truth that Trump and Epstein were friends. So I think that kind of aligns with what your tweet mentioned. And I guess the question is like, and of course it's not an easy one, but like how do we move past this natural inclination for confirmation bias and tribal thinking so we could actually evolve as a species rather than just appealing to echo chambers? I mean, the practical answer to that would be to, and I think it's on its way, is 
to merge with technology. I mean, I, and I'm not, I'm not a transhumanist in any sense, but I, but I do think if you want to solve that problem, essentially the problem you're outlining is, is tribalism and just, you know, don't mock my God, but I want to mock yours. And I don't think it's possible to get past that. It's been, I think even now when we, when we look at, there is unique concepts and issues to today's time, say for instance, the, the identity crisis that we've been talking about. But a lot of these other issues like tribalism or even cancel culture, I made a video a while back about how, you know, we talk about cancel culture as if it's this new thing. And it's like, were you not around in the 90s when the church was trying to cancel Marilyn Manson or the Dixie Chicks or any of this kind of stuff? It's It, it doesn't change. The only difference is essentially the scale at which it can be conducted now. And... So we do we tend to think of it as this new thing, but it's it's the same behavior that's been plaguing humanity for millennia that's just being amplified to a new level because we're interconnected on a, on, on a different scale. And I've stopped largely trying to think that and being idealistic about the fact that I can transcend that. Um and that's where I do, I am honest about the fact that it's like, yeah, sometimes I make a video and I am, I am sitting there going, I have, I have my nuanced view on this and I have my view that I know if I word it this way and approach it this way, it's going to do infinitely better on social media than if I do Right. And I look at it like if... If you try to be overly nuanced and contextualize every single point so that it can be received by everybody, it's it's essentially goes to the if you try to please everyone, you please nobody. And so I look at it as going, yeah, maybe it's idealistic to sit there and think, okay, how can I appeal to everybody and have the most nuanced vision about this? But then you're just ineffective because nobody will fucking listen to you at that point they want like you were saying they want that that little snarkiness they want that like it's it's the new it's the new battlefield you know it's the gladiator realm we don't we don't sit in in front of everybody and fight fist to fist combat anymore we sit there and we battle it out psychologically and so people want these these battles they want these shows and I think by yeah not doing that, not playing into that, you're just you're gonna have no effect at all. But to me, I look at it going, okay, if I can have one or two out of every five points or pieces of content that I make be trying to grab attention, and then on the back end, yeah, say have those more philosophical viewpoints bring in the nuance a little bit more where i know it's not going to be as effective but maybe i just reach those five to ten people rather than a thousand and so i i look at it more as like a balancing act than something that can be solved if that makes sense yeah that that certainly makes sense and uh, i i see where you're coming from and that, that's actually a pretty interesting point of view yeah you're right you know you, you stand for nothing you'll fall for anything and i think this the same goes for if if you're not sculpting a specific enough time type of point 
or narrative, then yeah, of course, like it's just not going to resonate with anybody because you're spreading the, the net too wide. I think that's an interesting way of looking at it for sure. And I think, again, you know, there, there needs to be balance. There needs to be some type of nuance there. And uh, I guess that's where it kind of comes to what it comes down to. And I think maybe some people just abuse that. And of course, you know, I don't know what their intentions are. I don't know what their goals are. And as long as they're not, I guess, ultimately hurting anybody or their property, then, you know, they're feel they're free to to have these types of opinions, you know, and, uh, and and I guess that type of strategy and formula, it just some in some ways seems feels a little disheartening to me because I think ultimately, like the reason why we're interested in this world or at least for myself, and maybe this is just my own subjective opinion, is I got into this because I wanted to see the world be a better place, a better place for my kids, maybe a little bit more fair, a little bit more just, a little uh, less crazy, a little bit less violence and institutionalized violence, you know? And so if you're looking at it through that lens, then you're kind of perverting the intention that you originally started with. And again, I don't know what a lot of these people Maybe they're that. Maybe that's what they're here to do. They're just here to try to to make as much money and get as much attention as they can, and and so be it. But hopefully, that's what separates us away from the fray. And I've already alluded that there's plenty of people who you know definitely go that route. Uh, unfortunately, the people who make the most noise, you know, tend to get the most attention. So I I fear that that's kind of uh, the trap that we're falling into when it comes to this. But We've talked about a bunch of things now. Um, I know when we first started talking a few months back, I remember asking you about your political identity and what you identified as. And, you know, again, I know sometimes these political labels, like it's just uh, it adds adds more confusion and, and maybe uh, divides us more than it's supposed to. But I, I think they are also serve a purpose, you know, and um I guess I asked you because I was trying to understand if you were, were more conservative or libertarian. And I guess these you know labels have that that purpose. Uh, it's really hard to distinguish these days because the liberty community has taken up a lot of the same political talking points and issues that the right has. So it, it seems like um, I mean, as we said before on the show, you know, politics is downstream from culture. So you know, even even though it, it drives me crazy that some of these topics they create so much division. I think it's important that we are on the right side of history when it comes to standing up for liberty. Uh, but of course, the right skews that too. You know, I mean, they're not perfect. We've seen, you know, in Florida with DeSantis outlawing drag performances. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not in support of the, the trans community dancing half naked for kids, nor am I personally a fan of drag. But I do believe it's people's right if they choose and they're not harming anyone else. And, you know, the right also claims to value individualism as a, a whole more than the collectivist nature of the left. And I remember you saying that you uh, took one of those political quiz tests and it actually suggested that you were progressive. Um, and even that term, of course, has been distorted in my opinion. But like, do you, what do you identify as politically and like how much have you looked into libertarianism? Yeah, I, I would. The way that I've boiled it down is I'm an anarchist who knows that there's limits to his beliefs and they aren't necessarily scalable to the current world we live in. Now, what are, what I mean by that is I agree with the anarchist, like say the, the Ayn Rands, the Murray Rothbards, the Michael Malices. I agree with their 
analysis of the issues, I don't necessarily agree with their solutions. So the solution would be to say, for instance, just abolish all government. And I, I rail about the government, just government in general, not any specific government, but I rail about the concept of government quite often. And what I'm trying to achieve there is I liken them to the mob quite a bit, right? Where they sell fear or sorry, they create fear and mayhem in order to sell the protection. And I think we need to understand that that's how government operates, that they are a essentially a cancer on production and the economy. So with that in mind, we should keep them as little as possible. But I'm also not one of those people who all of a sudden thinks if you completely rid the government that everything would be sunshine and rainbows. I think the way that that comes around for me is I would rather deal with one centralized mob that I can understand their intentions and negotiate with them on that plane rather than dealing with limit limitless chaotic mobs that are say a little bit smaller or bands of people that all might have different interests because then at that way you can't really negotiate with anybody and so i think to me it, my political beliefs are just more liberty focused so that would probably put me into a libertarian libertarian camp I know today that being libertarian kind of gets tossed in with being right wing, which I think speaks more to not libertarians actual view of whether they're right or left, but whether the right or left is the current threat to liberty. And that's how I look at it is, you know, if you were to put my political beliefs on paper, I would probably be very similar to like a 19... 60s 70s even like a jfk democrat maybe minus the welfare state kind of stuff but as far as principles and beliefs i would i would probably fall in line with them much more but it's one of those things where now the left is i mean tyranny is wearing the mask of leftism i don't think leftism is inherently tyrannical i think both left and right can go too far but I do believe that tyranny is masquerading as liberalism right now. And that's probably why, yeah, maybe I get tossed into right wing more often than not. But to me, I, I think it's just funny because I, I tend to go on, I try to be a counterbalance to when things fall out of balance. And it's like, I've, I've voted for, I've voted for literally the socialists in Canada before. I've I voted in for Trudeau in 2015. I voted for Jagmeet Singh in 2019, and they are both people that I have now actively railed against. And it's like because I think times and people change, and whether you know if you can have a current view of something, and if the landscape changes, then your views of what is beneficial should change along with it. So, for instance, in times of great prosperity and say economic success then yeah it's probably better to lean towards a little bit of a, a liberal view is going okay we're pretty we're pretty set and taken care of right now so 
you know, how could we improve things? Let's let's push things forward a little bit more. Let's let's be progressive. Where once the boat is rocked, like say COVID, and the average person can't afford a home anymore, and all of this kind of stuff, then you know maybe some conservative conservatism conservatism is much needed. Where now the idea becomes okay. Let's make sure we're not having any unintended consequences that completely that throw massive holes into the boat we're all currently sitting in so to me times change and the politics that are necessary at those times should change along with it that was a very long-winded answer but no you're you're right though and and it's sort of one of those things it's like the more information you acquire um the more it changes your perspective on things and i find it fascinating that at least politically ideologically you and i are damn near on the exact same wavelength um i would say when it comes to the the tribalism aspect uh of of just the way society is and with abolishing government and whatnot what i've generally always said um especially after i started reading like larkin rose and Derek bros um and sort of developing my philosophy thinking about the ideas that they put forward is that I definitely agree with you on the aspect that I do not think anarchism is applicable on the large scale. Like, if we just abolish the U.S. government and we have, like, 300 million people, like, it's not applicable towards 300 million, but it can be applicable in, like, small communities. And depending on how well those people work together, you can build it from a community of 10 to a community of 100, maybe 1,000, but it really depends on, in my opinion the evolution of their consciousness to get people to a point mentally, psychologically, consciously where they're at a higher understanding of things to where they recognize humanity as a whole is your tribe, not white, black, man, woman, left, right, etc. and all these sort of false paradigms, but the fact that we're all one species and even beyond that, like we're all one, you know, life form in general, human beings, animals, you know, small plants and things of like, you know, and just sort of the, the greater tribe of life in general. And that, that we're all sort of, I, gen, I sometimes I say uh, that we're not human beings having a spiritual experience, but we're spiritual beings having a human experience and sort of, so I, I guess when it comes to applying and also another thing is, is the sort of uh, anarchy is to politics, what spiritualism is to religion, and sort of in that vein, applying anarchistic philosophies on a larger scale to where it's actually beneficial to society as a whole requires that mental and the psychological and conscious evolution first to get people to that point where they can coexist with one another without devolving into these tribal gangs of warlords that would typically be like a Mad Max situation in the essence when you do abolish government. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, I do, I agree. And I think to me, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be a abolishment of government, but I do think it needs to currently flip its head on where power lies. So I do Mm -hmm. think that, and I mean, this is the way that America was supposed to be set up, right? And it's why the idea of America is so great, but it's like power should first lie in the small communities, then go up to the state and then go to the federal. But, but now everything in the last, you know, say whether it be the last, 70 to 90 years 
things it was really post World War II when everything started getting flipped on its head and the federal government started becoming the biggest dick swinger, essentially, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and then the states were subjected to the federal and then the communities and municipalities are at the whim of the states and the federal, where I think it's a major problem that, let's say I live in a small town and I'm having issues with some of the regulations or problems that are coming into that small town or that small town is facing. If I go to my local MP, I mean, I guess you guys would be, that would be my member of parliament. That would be your guys, uh, Senator or congressperson, but, or what would actually, what would be your local, what would be your local level? Sorry. That's still, I guess, state, but. Uh, like Senator, Congressman, even like okay. on a smaller scale, but like a mayor or something. City, city council. council. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. But if you go to that average mayor or city council and you say, Hey, why are things going this way in our city? And you have somebody in front of you that you should and be in, you should be able to hold them accountable when things aren't going properly. Mm-hmm. Their answer is essentially, well, I'm handcuffed by everything that's going on above. Passing the buck. I, I have no I have no I have no control over what's happening right now on any meaningful sense. So the level of accountability has just been completely flipped on its head. And I think that that is a major issue where you have nobody to go to anymore and say, hey, this isn't working for me. <laughs> What's that quote? I can't remember quite who who said it, but you know, when the the government fears the people, there will be liberty, and when people fear government, there will be tyranny. You know, so I mean, I, I yeah. think that that sums it up perfectly. And uh, yeah, I would love to get into anarchism a little bit more and all the nuance and and you know details of that. Maybe we'll have to save that for the next show. But I feel like we've we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, shit, this has been a great conversation. We've talked about anarchy, spirituality, identity, but I do have uh, one last question only because we were talking about this a little earlier, Liam, but, um, you know, we're getting close to wrapping up here. And, uh, I know this isn't a very popular topic anymore because it's nearly been beaten to death, but it's still something that affects us and many of us who are still have to contend with and navigate around it. And that topic is social media censorship. And we were joking this morning that the video question that we posted yesterday bombed so hard that you were wondering when you were going to get your 72 virgins. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know our, you know, free thought project audience can be a bit temperamental about certain topics, mainly because I think we've been successful kind of blurring the lines for many years now by not strictly posting content that appeals either to the left or the right, but maybe has overlap with both sides because, you know, the truth doesn't always have a political affiliation. But uh, how stringently do you think Instagram monitors accounts like ours? And do you think it, that's perhaps like part of this fifth generation warfare to make us feel like our content isn't reaching anyone anymore, which in turn frustrates us and perhaps even eventually causes us to quit altogether? Do you think that's like a, a reasonable possibility or does that seem like a stretch? No, I... Uh... Honestly, you read enough history, you don't think anything of that nature is a stretch. We've gone, you know, if you if you read about the Soviets or or Maoist China or, you know, more recently, say stuff like North Korea, you, those those are the eventual. They're the they're the extreme examples, obviously, but that is the 
spectrum that government operates on. And to think that, you know, because it was in these other countries that it would never happen here or to completely distance yourself again, those are, those are human, those are human elements that have popped in, in popped off and come up in many different cultures. And so I do think censorship is, is definitely happening. I mean, we've seen even the Twitter files, everything, how deep it goes with, with intelligence agencies flagging accounts and stuff. And I think it's largely effective because, you know, even, even aside from the censorship by, or I guess actually, sorry, it does play into censorship. If you mute all of these voices, like let's say ours, who I like to think that I'm a reasonable person. So if you mute all of the reasonable people, then it does seem like it is just a conversation of extremes. And then you start thinking into this this binary, this this idea that there's, when it comes to society, which is infinitely complex and the problems that face it, that there is only binary thinking or binary solutions to that. And I think that is what the censorship is largely at play for, isn't necessarily to dishearten, say, individuals like us, but is to skew the idea that that conversation only lies in these extremes, if that's making sense. I mean, yeah, it very much sounds like the Overton window, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I think um, what's acceptable, you know, is very much dictated. The conversation is very much dictated, you know, what's the national, let me start off. The national conversation is very much dictated by social media companies now and mainstream media companies. And anytime we even try to arrive, uh, raise a question about challenging the narrative, it seems to get squashed. So that's been a pretty constant pattern. I don't think that's anything new to our audience, but we are getting close here to wrapping up, Liam. And I, I know, uh, obviously, you know, you're on Instagram at Liam out loud, uh, but feel free to plug anything else. Um, are you on what other social media uh, platforms are you on? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, all of it. Uh, I will say I won't send anyone to my YouTube page right now because I have just kind of finally come into the come to the conclusion that my YouTube account had to have been completely bombed on one of these lists that you're talking about a, a year or two ago because with some of the interaction that I've had on it and engagement rates, there's there's just zero chance that it gets stif it should be getting stifled yeah. the way that it is so i'm gonna i'm gonna over the next week or two launch a completely new youtube channel and uh and just try try to try to see if i can get some more traction with it and just leave that one in the in the dust um but yeah you can find me on uh instagram twitter TikTok, all of it liam out loud Actually, you might have trouble finding me on TikTok too, because I'm definitely shadow banned on there. I got in the first two or three months of me using TikTok, I got over 50,000 followers. And since then I've gotten less than 10. So, and that was like a year and a half. So it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, my account definitely was just completely throttled. Um, yeah. But hey, what can you do? I think, uh, I think at the end of the day, I'd rather 
rather smaller smaller audience with more engagement than a massive audience that doesn't give a fuck what i have to say so sure no that's a, that's a great point man and um I don't think our audience really understands just how difficult this this work really is, you know, and not to say, you know, obviously there's things out there that are much more difficult and we're not slaving, you know, in any physical type of labor job or anything like that. But it, it's so hard to be able to um, curate content for your audience if you don't have the necessary gauges to know if it's resonating with them or not. Right. And so that's something that these social media companies have basically perfected at this point is what I was talking about before is making us feel unseen, uh, unheard, and not really giving us much of that forward momentum, that support that would keep us, you know, doing this type of stuff. So uh, it's certainly a challenge. And, you know, if you are going to create some new accounts, I'd strongly suggest maybe starting them from a brand new, uh, like burner phone or something, make sure it's not the same IP address. Uh, Definitely don't use like the same uh, laptops or you know tablets or anything because all that stuff is interconnected and they've only gotten better. These social media companies have only gotten better at suppressing our information, suppressing our accounts. So yeah, we don't grow, we don't reach anybody. It's definitely getting difficult out there, guys. But I think there is going to be a solution presenting itself soon. Hey, I might even be working on a solution for something like this. So definitely keep your eye out, guys. All right, free thinkers. This episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you, if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work having these important conversations and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers, and as always, thank you for listening. We are at the end of the show, and I just want to say, Liam, man, you're a powerhouse, dude, and I truly hope that this podcast helps grow your social media presence and gets your work more views. You certainly deserve it. There's not enough objective content creators out there who are actually asking the tough questions and trying to get to the heart of these issues. So for that, my friend, I commend you, and uh, I appreciate everything you do for Truth and Liberty. Thanks for joining us today, and I'd love to have you back again in the future. Yeah, thank you. No, for, thanks for having me on, and it's been a been a pleasure working and chatting with you over the last few months, and appreciate uh, helping helping me get uh, get my message out there as well. So you know, some of the some of the collaborations that we've done have been have been big big helps on that front, and getting more eyeballs on my page. So I appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. All right, man. Until next time. All right, talk soon.